You've tuned in to Chaos to the Fly, a podcast for fans of the darkness and the supernatural by Greg Newbigin. If you'd like to reach out to provide feedback or say hello, send an email to info at chaostothefly.com or if you'd like to share an experience, send the details to stories at chaostothefly.com and it might be included on future episodes. Now, let's get down to business, shall we? G'day, fly folk, and welcome to episode six of Chaos to the Fly. I'm your host, Greg Newby, and I think we've got a really exciting one this week. I've tried to make a couple of little changes here and there. Yeah, just to make things a bit more exciting, so hopefully that will be what you are looking for. Maybe it's a little bit different. Last week, of course, if you missed it, it was a pretty fun episode. We talked about the Skinwalkers of Navajo culture, which was interesting. Another uh, haunted house ghost story. And I did a review of season one of Lock and Key, which is currently on Netflix and pretty worth your time. Not super, super important, but um, I think it's definitely worth worth the time. So if you have the time to check it out, check it out. Anyway, let's crack on into episode six and I'll see you on the other side. The Mexican folk tale of La Llorona. The story of La Llorona goes back quite a ways. It's lived in South American culture since the 16th century, and as such, Not a lot is really known about how the story began, but it has been around a hell of a long time. We will look into the origins, though. Still, the story remains the same. La Llorona is the weeping or crying woman who steals children in order to drown them. Passed down through oral tradition in Mexico as well as Central and South America, it is said that this woman is the revenant of a living woman named Maria. The most popular variation of the story tells that Maria was in an unloving relationship, bearing two sons for a husband that bore little love for her, yet he doted on his two boys, showering them with adoration. Maria's intense desire to be appreciated herself led her to resent her own children, innocent although they were. One day Maria found her husband in the arms of another woman. Distraught and filled with rage, she directed her anger at her two sons, drowning them in a nearby river. On coming to her senses and realising what she'd done, she was overcome with more anger and grief and drowned herself in the river. But the heavens were not ready to receive her, and she was doomed to remain on earth as a vengeful spirit, endlessly seeking the souls of her children and luring other children to drown in the hopes that she could find them once again by repeating her evil deed throughout eternity. Kind of creepy. Other variations of the legend suggest that she was not denied entry to heaven, but was tricked into believing that this was the case by a demon that saw an opportunity to further inflict punishment on the human race. The demon told Maria that her son's souls were lost as a result of her drowning them, and she must look for them among the souls of the living. Years of endless suffering for the crime she committed led her to cry and wail constantly, eventually causing her to go mad. Yes, apparently years of torture like this can affect even spirits, and this led to her drowning even more children, or so the story goes. 
Given the extensive amount of time that this story has been passed down, and the elaborate effects of oral tradition, there are so many variations of the story, but the core tends to remain the same. Maria, feeling unloved, discovers her husband in love with another woman, and drowns the children as a result. In some cases, Maria is from a poor family. In others, her husband is a nobleman. Sometimes her husband simply falls out of love with her as she ages, and sometimes it's because he's often travelling and rarely home. Sometimes the other woman is a younger woman, sometimes from the same town, sometimes someone he brings back from his travels, but the result is always the same. Drowned children, eternal grief. In modern times, it's said you can hear her wailing at night, and if you do so, you should head home straight away, or possibly bring misfortune down upon your family. Children that hear the wailing should especially hurry home or risk being kidnapped and drowned by her. Often she is heard crying out for her children or for her sons. Other times she can be found scraping at the banks of rivers and lakes, endlessly searching for the bodies of her lost sons. Whichever way she's viewed, she's clearly a source of supernatural horror. Some say La Llorona can be summoned by sitting in a room surrounded by mirrors in the flickering light of red candles. She may then appear upon chanting her name, although why you'd want to do this is beyond me. Some parents tell their children that she'll come for them if they misbehave. Might have to keep that in mind. Even given its lengthy lifetime, there are several possibilities as to the origins of the La Llorona folklore. For one, there are many similar tales that exist across the planet. There is, of course, the story of Eve and Lilith from Old World mythology. Lilith was Adam's first wife, who came to be replaced by Eve. As well as other weeping or wailing spirits from Europe, the Banshee is a great example. Ancient Greece also contains many similar tales, the closest being that of Hera and Zeus. Zeus, ever the womanizer, often had affairs with other Olympians and ordinary humans, many of whom bore children to him. Hera, Zeus's wife, did not take kindly to such indiscretions and would fly into a rage on discovering them. One time, learning of an affair with the demigoddess Lamia, Hera killed all of the children that Lamia had bore for Zeus. Out of anger, Lamia stole other people's children in a desire to reclaim her own. Then there's the Aztec story of Siwakoatl, I hope I pronounced that right, the snake woman, a fertility goddess. She abandoned her son at a crossroads, often making a pilgrimage back there, weeping at her loss. Possibly the most convincing real-life story is that of La Malinche, a woman named Marina, who was indigenous to the South American region and played a key role in the Spanish conquest of the Aztec Empire. She was taken as a slave by the Spanish conquistador Hernán Cortés, initially acting as an interpreter but eventually bearing him a son. While she did not murder her son, nor was it said that she became a vengeful spirit, her story remains important historically for the region, and may have influenced the origins of La Llorona. Keep in mind though that Marina was not her birth name. This was the name she was given at baptism, but one can only assume that this was not a decision she had any say in at the time. Researcher Benjamin Radford investigated the story, among many others. I do expect his name to come up again in a future episode. Coming to the conclusion that parts of the story also traced back to a German folktale in the 15th century. But who knows? 
While there is plenty of pop culture referring to similar folk tales, there is little that can be referenced when specifically detailing La Llorona. There was a movie way back in 1933 and another in 1960, both of Mexican origin, which are likely pretty difficult to track down at this point. A more recent Mexican movie based on the legend, 2006's Kilometer 31, should be easier to find, but I'm unsure if it was translated. La Llorona was referenced in the pilot episode of the popular Supernatural TV series, so that's a thing. And lastly, and probably most popularly, the sixth movie in the ever-popular Conjuring universe also refers specifically to this folklore titled The Curse of La Llorona. I'll have to check that one out as the Conjuring movies are quite good. Whaley House. This week's ghost story is going to be told in two parts. It was offered to me by Anna from the Ghost Stories subreddit, although I have changed her name for privacy purposes, and is a story of her experiences within Whaley House. However, I realise that not all listeners are likely to have been exposed to the story of the Whaley House, so I'll preface this with a brief overview. This comes from the Whaley House website at whaleyhouse.org. The Whaley House, located in the Old Town District of San Diego, although my knowledge of San Diego is lacking, clearly, I've never been to the US, was home to, you guessed it, the Whaley family, and built all the way back in the mid-1800s. It was more than just a family home, however. It started out as a granary, and eventually became a courthouse for the region, before expanding into the two-story family home, a general store, and San Diego's first commercial theatre, not in that order. Today, these have, or many of these, have been restored as part of the Whaley House Museum. The Whaley House, however, has a wealth of horrific history. The spot upon which it was built, for example, was an area used for public execution. Later, in 1885, a member of the Whaley family, Violet Whaley, took her own life within the house. Legend has it that another young girl, possibly by the name of Annabelle or Carrie Washburn, also died on the property, having broken her neck on a low-hanging clothesline, although there doesn't appear to be any history or record of this in local records. All of this has led to the common belief that the Whaley House is haunted by the spectres of its past, with many sightings and experiences happening over the years. In fact, the Travel Channel referred to the Whaley House as the most haunted house in the United States in an episode of America's Most Haunted. Most sightings are attributed to Yankee Jim, a man who was once convicted of attempted grand larceny in the mid-1800s and who was hanged on the property, an execution that Thomas Whaley, who was the patriarch of the family, had himself witnessed. Others claim to have seen Thomas and Anna Whaley themselves within the house, as well as various other apparitions, including those of animals. In modern times, the Whaley House Museum offers tours of the home for those brave enough to enter. Okay, now, on to Anna's story about her experience with the house. This is told from her perspective. My tale goes all the way back to 2011. 
My ex-husband had a daughter, and she was kind of my little ghost buddy. We would watch America's Most Haunted together every Halloween with bated breath. And that's how we stumbled across the Whaley House. We lived in Colorado, and she lived in California with her biological mum. We'd watched a TV show the last time she'd visited us, and decided to go visit the house on our next visit to California. Well, that place fucked my shit up. We went to purchase our tickets at the house next door, and they advised that all photos were fine, but no audio recordings were allowed. We found this a little strange, but were happy to oblige. The second we passed over the threshold, though, I immediately felt the atmosphere got heavier. I should have left then, but there was no way that was going to happen. Not to this cemetery-hunting, ghost-loving weirdo. We walked around, room to room, took a million pictures to look over later, and eventually we left. Now, I should mention my ex-husband almost never went to bed with me at night, but the entire time we were in California, we shared a, d a bed with my stepdaughter. That is one queen bed sandwich I'm glad I'll never have to do again. That night... When looking over the photos I'd taken, I found a face in one of my pictures. I was in the dining room alone when this was taken. Thank God they put it up on their website, otherwise it would have been lost forever. She did send this through to me, and I kind of do see a little face on there. It is a little blurry or unclear, but uh, there is definitely something there. And she does say she apologised for the crappy quality. But it doesn't end there. I started having nightmares that night about the house. Someone was chasing me and trying to push me down the stairs. This wasn't my first haunted house experience, so I was very confused as I'd never experienced this before. We finally went back to Colorado, and I went to bed that night alone as usual, and my ex-husband stayed in the living room and put on his gaming headphones. This will become important, so keep that in mind. Anyway, I was laying in my bed trying to sleep in Colorado when my bed started shaking. And this wasn't some low level, my phone is vibrating on the bed kind of shaking, but it was as if someone was at the end of my bed shoving it back and forth against the wall like a freaking ping pong ball. Now they teach you about fight or flight in school, but no one ever talks about dumbasses like me who just freeze. So there I was, getting tossed around my bed like I'm starring in a poltergeist movie, completely frozen, and I couldn't even scream for what felt like forever. Finally, I grew some balls and I started screaming for my husband. James! James! James, you son of a... But I got no response. And the whole time, whatever the hell it was, continued to give no fucks and kept shaking my bed. Finally, I remembered enough of my ghost adventures knowledge to tell it that it was not welcome in my house and that it should go back to where it came from and never come back. And apparently they're onto something because just like that, it stopped. I lay there for another minute or two before running out and dragging my husband's ass back to bed with all the lights on. Anyway, that was my experience after having visited the Whaley house and possibly bringing something back with me. There's no way in hell I'll ever go back to that place.
Girl on the Third Floor. This week's review is of a fairly recent movie called Girl on the Third Floor. I didn't take down the date. I think it was released in 2019. Um, anyway, it stars CM Punk, an ex-wrestler. Interesting. So, Girl on the Third Floor is CM Punk's movie debut. So yes, a wrestler turned MMA fighter turning to the movies. This is not so uncommon. But hey, wrestling is sports entertainment after all. Although his performance is stilted at times, he's actually not a terrible actor, and he does a serviceable job in this movie. Mr. Punk plays a city boy with a shady past who moves out to the suburbs to start over with his wife, who is pregnant with their baby at the time. His wife stays back in the city while he does some work on the home to prepare for her arrival, but it turns out that the new house has a life of its own. Ooh, spooky! That's not very original, but it does get more original than that. There is some interesting storytelling here. The movie does some really, really interesting things. It does some things differently to the usual method when it comes to horror. It is a strange premise, and the clues towards everything are spaced out really nicely. In the long run, though, the story is pretty simple. But that doesn't make it a bad thing. It plays out really nicely. It plays out really nicely and it comes to a fairly satisfying conclusion. Uh, although it's not overly original, let's face it. The movie can be kind of scary at times, not only in anticipation of jump scares that generally don't eventuate, and god I hate that, but it can just be creepy as hell on occasion. I don't want to share too much. I'll just leave it at that. If you watch the preview, you'll, you'll understand. Sorry, trailer. Americans, it's trailer. In Australia, we say preview sometimes. Anyway, a word of warning. There are awkward and possibly overly erotic themes. If that's not your thing. But they are not without reason. In fact, it all ties directly into the premise. So if it's not your thing, maybe skip it. Still, I felt like some people may be turned off by it. And I felt the need that it should be mentioned as a result. If you don't like the sexy stuff, keep away from this one. Sadly, it is one of those, the whole thing could have been avoided if kind of movies, which I do find annoying at times. And maybe that's the point. The evil that comes in this movie comes from the folly of sin. But I'm not clever enough to get into that kind of analysis. Or am I? No. It is gory at times, but it's not that kind of movie. It's mostly just tense and kind of weird. It definitely has a haunted house vibe, which I really like though. Overall, I would say Girl on the Third Floor is not an absolute must, must, must watch, but if you have the time, it is definitely worthwhile for some quirky entertainment. If you watch a lot of horror movies, then yeah, it, it becomes a must watch, but... Yeah, it's up to you in the end. Anyway, I liked it. Alrighty, so that was the end of episode six. Thank you for listening. But it's not the complete end. If you have listened every other week, you know that I go into things in a little bit more depth at the end not look at the topics of course in a little bit more depth but more on the reasons why i chose them and where things are going and all that kind of jazz so 
La Llorona. I had never heard of this, and I, as you know, have been watching a lot of horror movies recently to try to bulk up my reviews and make sure I've got a crapload more reviews to go over for these episodes. And while looking around, I saw this movie, The Curse of La Llorona, and initially I thought it was a Mexican movie. Because, you know, it's called The Curse of La Llorona, and on Netflix, if I'm honest, there's a lot of foreign horror movies that I just don't know what they are. Half the time I start watching them and they just don't click with me. Low budget, whatever the case may be. I mean, you know, I'm not going to say I don't have time for low budget horror movies because, let's face it, uh, I watched Terrifier recently and that was a great horror movie. Review is coming up. But, yeah, some of them just don't work for me. And that's what I thought The Curse of La Llorona was, until one day I just thought, why does it keep recommending this bloody movie to me? And I noticed it was a movie by James Wan, and I realised that it was part of the Conjuring universe, and I thought, wow, I've never even heard of it. And I think it's probably got to do with the fact that the movie is, the name of the movie is just so far removed from the rest of the Conjuring universe, that maybe it hasn't become popular as a result i don't know i haven't actually even looked into it to be honest so maybe it is super popular and i'm just not uh, i've just been in a cave with my head under the ground my hand fingers in my ears for the last however many years anyway that prompted me to look into what the hell la llorona was and when i started reading into it i thought you know what this is a relatively interesting story it's got some interesting history tied to it and a lot of other cool things so that led me to decide you know what i'm going to cover it now I am at a point now where I've gone through a lot of the in really interesting stuff that I dug up when I first thought of the podcast, and now I'm rushing through trying to find topics because it's funny. I wanted to find topics that were, you know, uh, topics like demons. Demons are really fun to talk about, but apart from that, it's a lot of folklore. It's a lot of hearsay. I didn't really want to talk about things like Bloody Mary or Candyman and things like that. Because, in my mind, they're kind of children's stories. But then I realised that some of them are actually quite interesting. And that, you know, Kuchisake Onna, a couple of weeks ago, um, was that for me. And La Llorona, today, also demonstrated that for me. So I'm sort of starting to look at some other myths, myths like the Chupacabra and, um, and things like that. And I'm even starting to branch out into fiction mythology as well. So certain mythology that has permeated reality to a degree where so, such that either some people believe in them or just that everybody knows about them, like the Cthulhu mythos, Slenderman, things like that. So, you know, these are some things I'm thinking of covering in the future. Let me know. The ghost story. I've had this one for a few weeks. I've been sitting on it. Um, I didn't know where it was going to fit in. The story itself was quite short, so I was thinking of doing two stories together. And then I realized that, hey, this is about Whaley House, and probably nobody really knows much, except for, you know, San Diegans. A whale's vagina. Sorry, that was... <laughs> that just popped into my head there, didn't it? Right out of nowhere. That That's from Anchorman, if you're wondering why that particularly just popped into my head. I think it means San Saint Diego. No, no, let's agree to disagree. Anyway, now I'm quoting movies. So I decided to do a little bit of an overview of The Whaley House before going into the story. Let, you, let me know what you think of that, um, whether or not it was a good or a bad idea, because it, it also 
gives me an opportunity to talk about local hauntings and local haunted places around the world. Uh, I don't know if that's a topic you might be interested in as well. So we'll see how we go as we uh, progress. You know, rather than telling two or three short ghost stories, I might do a local haunting story followed by a ghost story. I don't know. I haven't really decided. It just popped into my head. Anyway, last up, um, Girl on the Third Floor. I am a wrestling fan. I don't know whether that's a good or a bad thing. Think of me what you will. I don't care. Um, but I am a wrestling fan. I did like CM Punk when he was wrestling with WWE. I do find WWE a little bit eh, overboard now. And I, I started watching AEW and um, New Japan Pro Wrestling because that's a bit more, I don't know, fun. Less up its own butt. But anyway, CM Punk. Liked him, was interested to see what he could do in a movie, plus some of the imagery that I saw in the trailers, previews, whatever you want to call them, made me quite interested in it. So here I am. Anyway, I quite enjoyed Girl on the Third, third Floor. I reckon you should see it. It's good. Enough said. Now, I have talked about doing mini-reviews here and there, so let's do one now. Uh, there was a movie I watched recently called The Autopsy of Jane Doe. Uh, it's from 2016 and a lot of people have it on their best, you know, uh, not really well heard of movie lists of the last however many years. Uh, so I decided to watch it. It again was on Netflix. Really interesting movie. It is just an autopsy the entire way through, but then some weird and funky shit happens. I don't even know how to describe it. It is set in a couple of rooms for the entire movie, but it is really unsettling and just really well made. And the, the the actual premise of things and what or who Jane Doe turns out to be is, it's not so much unexpected because they start to bring it up in the middle of the story, but just the way it's all told is, is absolutely brilliant. And I really do recommend you check out Autopsy of Jane Doe. Five or six years old now, late 2016, four years old now, but <laughs> worth checking out in my opinion. All right, so this week I'm going to mix my embarrassing story, secret, whatever, in with my topic that I like to talk about. Um, so this week's talk topic is going to be about YouTube, and I have a secret shame. Recently, probably as a result of this podcast, I've begun to become addicted to paranormal investigator YouTubers and just guys that like to go into haunted houses and go, oh, what was that? Every five minutes. Some of it is completely unbelievable. Some of it could very well be staged, but some guys I reckon have their hearts in the right place and are just trying to record scary stuff and actually seem to be catching some scary stuff on video. Some of the stuff that I have seen on these videos, hey, yeah, it could have been staged, but it doesn't really look it. And yeah, hmm. Even if any, if any one little bit of what happens on any of these shows if any of that is actual real footage and not staged, then it's pretty damn good proof that not necessarily we're not alone, but, you know, the spiritual world is real. Uh, so I, I've really just been addicted to watching those things. Some of them are kind of scary or creepy. Uh, you can feel the shivers down your own spine, but that's possibly 
psychological more than, you know, actually spiritual. But hey, let's not get into semantics or arguments. I didn't come here to argue with you, geez. But that's my secret shame. I've really been watching quite a lot of those videos recently, and most of those videos either go for half an hour or an hour long, so I've been putting a lot of time into these videos. Truth be told, I'm playing games or doing something else at the same time, but I'm putting a lot of time into that, and I am, you know, putting a lot of dollars into these guys' pockets. So good luck to them. They've found a good niche. Um, I don't know if I could actually walk around a haunted house at three o'clock in the morning like some of these guys do, seemingly on their own. Whether or not they actually are on their own is a different story, but you don't hear anyone else's footsteps running around the house when weird shit happens. And that's kind of what freaks me out. Maybe they're editing the sound. I don't know. I don't know. I just don't know. But I like watching them. I like to suspend the disbelief just like I'm watching a real horror movie. And it's cool to me. Stop judging me. Thank you. Anyway, I guess I'll call it uh, call it a, a, a call it an episode for another week. Before I do so, though, I'll click my mouse once or twice. That was more, that was twice, and I will go check out a review. All right, before I do go, I did get another review this week, which made me super super warm in the Hartle region because that's the technical term. Don't argue with me unless you're a scientist. This one is from Cannibal Kiwi TV, who I do know from a different podcast that I do, and he's given me another five-star review. My God, thank you. His review is Mum Approved. Approved by Greg's Mum. So I'll give it a five-star rating too. But in all seriousness, this is a good part podcast in its early stages. I fully believe it will come into its own once Greg finds his groove. Do not pass this up. Give it a listen. Thank you, Cannibal Kiwi. You're right. To be honest, the first five episodes, I haven't really found my groove. I've been a little bit nervous, so to speak. I haven't done podcasts on my own ever. So, you know, it's been a learning experience. I, th I feel more comfortable today starting to, maybe I'm starting to get that groove. Maybe it's your review that's given me my groove back. Thank you. Don't know where you're getting approved by my mum from, um, but it is. You're right. She does approve. So I'm not sure if she gave it a five star. I'll have to ask her if she's going to give it a five star review, but I'm sure she will. She's my mum. She's a nice lady. Anyway, moving right on. Next week, we'll have episode seven. It will be equally grand. That's a promise from me to you. And I will see you then. Take care. Stay beautiful. Catch you next week. Chaos to the Fly might mostly be my little project, but it couldn't be what it is without the help of some key individuals and resources. So I'd like to thank the following. Thanks to Simon Exley for his brilliant music making skills providing all music used in the show. You can look for his work at inexilerecords.bandcamp.com. Thanks also to Mr. Mr. Yarn for his glorious voice work, which you can hear in the intro and outro. You can find him at disco underscore box on Twitter. And last but not least, thank you to Simon Sherry, who provided the excellent artwork for the show, including our spooky mascot. Follow Simon at Simon Sherry on Twitter. Before I go, however, I should mention that the sound effects were obtained from zapsplat.com. And if you're looking for me, you can find me at Mad Capsules on Twitter.
Thanks for listening to another episode of Chaos to the Fly. It would really help if you could leave us a review on iTunes or simply share the podcast with others you feel may be interested. To keep the spooky conversation going, follow us at Chaos to the Fly on Twitter and Facebook. Back to work, flies.